0: This is Enjoy Cherokee Voices, a podcast recorded live to deliver in-depth conversations with dynamic people from all corners of Cherokee County. Listeners like you sink into this weekly podcast to learn more about the people that make Cherokee County extraordinary. And now it's time to get to
1: know another neighbor. Here's your host, Jody Drinkard.
0: Hello and welcome in to Enjoy Cherokee Voices. I am your host, Will Cooper, filling in for Jody Drinker today, and I have a very special guest. Today with me is Rennie Corin. Rennie, thank you for being with us. You had an opportunity to talk to uh, the Cherokee Focus Group here this evening, or this morning, I should say. Yeah. And uh, had a great talk there, but uh, tell me a little bit about how you, uh, you're liking Cherokee County. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, first and foremost,
1: thanks for having me on the show. And, uh, yeah, as far as Cherokee County, I, I love it, man. I'm here at the uh, timbers at, at etowah right yeah and, uh, it's a beautiful place i love you know not only what cherokee is doing uh, as far as the city but so many other cities you know i grew up in uh, Snellville, lawrenceville area a lot of these cities are really revamping their uh, city centers and uh, making it a point of business and a point where you you want to come and do events and uh, it's no different here in cherokee man so i'm loving what i'm seeing and and uh, just the fact that they still kept that same touch of the past and everything so yeah i i um do have some uh, bad experiences with Cherokee uh, High School. (laughs) I assume 2004
0: is what you're talking about? Yeah, my
1: sophomore year. I remember uh, playing linebacker at Brookwood, and uh, that was my last game of that season. We lost to Cherokee. I had a concussion. uh, Still got a scar from that game. (laughs) That was kind of my my welcome to high school football moment. I was was 15, 16 years old, and, uh, yeah, I remember that game. It was a good one. But uh, other than that, you know, love Cherokee, love this area. So many good people, and um, you know, as I saw today, so much involvement uh, from the community, different members who came out today to support Cherokee
0: Focus. So it was it was great. And you mentioned the Brookwood thing, so let's let's get into it. You were a yeah. linebacker at the University of Georgia. Three time All American, finalist for the Budkist Award. And then you also were a third round draft pick in the NFL to the Tennessee Titans and had a few other stops along the way in your professional career before deciding to transfer into something else there. But that's kind of the background for everyone that wants to know who you are. And that's the sports side of it. But we're going to, with this show, I don't want to just talk about sports because you can find a lot of information on you in a Wikipedia article right. does that justice, I feel. So I want to get to know you a little bit and sure. get to know how you got to where you are now. And mm. obviously you're a keynote speaker here, but that's kind of your business now is you're also a published author. Yeah, You have your own book and then you and your daughter wrote one. I want to talk about that a little bit as well. Definitely. So I want to get to know Rennie the person and not so much Rennie the bulldog or Rennie the titan or Rennie the brookwood bronco even so no,
1: I appreciate that
0: yeah so let's start with where you got started so tell me a little bit about the background of your family I know that they were immigrants but I want you to tell that story and you can do it a lot more justice than I can
1: yes um you know I talked about it today man and it's something that's so near and dear to my heart um as far as my family and that's really where it all starts for me my foundation uh, both my parents they came here uh, early eighties. They're both around the same age. I am now I'm 33 years old. Uh, Mom came here first, got a scholarship to Emory to get her master's in nursing. My dad came after she was done. And, uh, he like many immigrants just tried to pick up a skill and, uh, that became, um, shoe repair, which is a a skill that another one of his friends had who he knew when he was in Liberia. And so he got trained to, to fix shoes and, you know, it's, it's, it's not like your typical when you go to the airport and they're shining your shoes. These are like, you know, your cowboy boots, your designer shoes that you don't want to let go of. You spent a lot of money on, so you want to repair them and, and keep them in pristine condition. So it's a very unique skill. And through that, you know, he was not only able to help our family, but so many people in the community, in the Liberian community, uh, and also bought into a shoe repair franchise. So for those of y'all in Cherokee who... Had been to Town Center Mall, you Mm -hmm. might have seen him (laughs) years ago. So he had a little 500 square foot shoe repair shop, uh, hacky shoe repair, where he would uh, fix you know so many different types of shoes. And I remember being a young kid just seeing him work 12 hours a day in there. And and just during that time, there's a civil war uh, going on in in the country of Liberia. You're talking about a population of two million people, but over 300,000 people lost their lives during that the course of that civil war, and millions. Um, became displaced, um, you know, becoming refugees and, and child refu- um, children became, you know, basically they had to fend for themselves. And so uh, my earliest experiences of seeing them, man, was just the work ethic that they put in, the sacrifice, man, just how they took what they had and, and just turned it into something more, um, not just building themselves but building those around them. Uh, our home was always open. My mom was always cooking. There was o- always a big pot of food. I spent many nights on, uh, sleeping on the floor, Um, So it just taught me humility, man, sacrifice, service, uh, faith, you know, uh, mother was a prayer warrior. Uh, So, you know, me being the youngest of three and uh, being the only boy, uh, I I just really, really started to understand the importance of taking what you have and doing more with it. And that was really the mindset and, and something that was ingrained in my DNA and still is. And what I took with me onto the football field when I eventually started playing football, which You know, I I really have a lot of respect for my parents when it comes to that, because, you know, like a lot of, um, you know, immigrant parents, they come here through education. So (laughs) they could have very easily shot down my dream when it comes to playing sports and say, oh, no, we want you to be a doctor. We want you to be a lawyer. We want you to do this. But they, that's one thing. My mom, she always, always encouraged us, like got me playing music at first. So before I even played a sport, I was playing the piano. And, you know, eventually we played drums, played the viola in middle school and high school. But, uh, yeah, they just exposed us to, to different things, even though that time we were living in a three-bedroom apartment. um, Northview Hills, we didn't have a lot. But uh, once we moved to Gwinnett, that's
0: when everything changed. That's when I started playing football. How did your parents decide on Atlanta and this area to move to? Is that, do you know that answer, or is that something that you just kind of never found out?
1: Yeah, so it, it, honestly, my mom is really where it starts because she got that scholarship to Emory. Right. It was between Duke and Emory. She was pretty smart.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, so um, she ended up coming to Emory, and that's how we ended up in Atlanta. And so we are always in that Northview Hills, Beaufort Highway kind of area. Like, I didn't even know Buckhead existed and everything. So we are on the, the other side of the tracks, as they would say. Mm-hmm. But uh, she worked at Grady Hospital. Everybody knows Grady if you're going through downtown. And so, um, yeah, that's that's where it all started, man. And at ten years old, we're doing well enough to where we moved out to the suburbs. So we moved out to Snellville, mm-hmm. and uh, I still remember it like it was yesterday. I, I didn't quite know anything about Gwinnett County. I didn't. I wasn't playing football at the time, but um, once we moved out there, I quickly realized that this com- that community was different. That you know, parents were involved. Like you know, uh, football once again came up as as I joined my team, as I started building relationships. Um, you know, it just became something that that's so that's special, you know, and I, it's just by the grace of God that we ended up moving into that community.
0: I always tell people doing high school football that there are there are different atmospheres and different cultures at each school. Mm-hmm. And I know that's true, especially in especially Gwinnett County with Brookwood being right there and competing with yeah. a couple of teams that you might be upset that I'm gonna bring up but Grayson and, right, and North right. Gwinnett and those type teams so I know how that type of relationship is there so yeah. uh, it's definitely interesting to see how it moves throughout but it sounds like you had a good place to start and uh, you know let's let's move into your high school career at this point and let's let's get some of the football talk out of the way yeah um, you know you you've mentioned that first of all you're about 5'10 5'11 mm-hmm. which makes me feel good because <laughs> normally when I think of an NFL player I'm thinking somebody it's a lot taller than me so right, you make right. me feel a lot better um, but Average height, so a little bit undersized for the NFL in the next level, which I know Mm -hmm. you'll talk about here in just a second. Uh, When did you think and when did you know, even if you ever knew, Mm -hmm. that you had the opportunity to play at the next level and that you were good enough? Because you were just talking about how you went from playing instruments in Mm -hmm. middle school, and that's amazing and then you transfer into or don't want to say transfer but you also pick up football with that yeah tell me a little bit about your journey in, on the football field as a high school player and, and when did you start to think that might be a future possibility for you
1: man honestly like when my coach took me to my first little league game uh, university of georgia game at 10 years old and i walked into the stadium like i didn't know i you know <laughs> yeah. just think about when you're a kid right and and you had you might watch your favorite superhero or you get a toy or or you go to a place where it it just inspires you. Um, For me that going to that, that first game, like from that point on, I was dead set. Like, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I just told myself like, I'm going to be a Georgia Bulldog. There you go. And that, that's what I set my mind to, man. And I'm stubborn. Like (laughs) anybody in my family would tell you when I was young, I was very, very hard headed, but, Andy Stanley said it best. He said, being stubborn is a virtue when you're right. There you go. And you know, I knew that I didn't know of course that I was going to make it, but I knew that I had a gift. Like it's just something that it's, it was spiritual, man. The first time I held a football in my hand, it was like, there's something different than I felt. I felt free. I felt like, you know, when you're doing something you love, you just, there's a special feeling that comes with it that just taps into your soul. And so that's what really started. But that was just to see. And I, I was watching this sermon by, um, Mike Todd. And he talks about how, when God gives you like a vision or something big, he'll give it to you in seed form. So that, that was kind of the seed going to university of Georgia, being, having a little league coach that was just such a great leader that poured into us and just having this gift. Like, I I mean, at eight years old, I had, I didn't, I wouldn't have but I had like, God gave me some strength. I had a little ball. We know
0: what you're talking about. I was
1: just like a little, I had a little biceps at like eight years old and just, I had the tools, you know, I had the, the mindset and, um, You know, I I took that and I just worked it. You know, I I used the gifts God gave me and maximized it. That's one thing that, you know, even though I didn't have the height, like I had those things that were intangibles that could not be measured the mindset, the quickness, the instincts that you couldn't coach. And so once I started getting an understanding of that, I was like, okay, I could do some things that can set me apart. And from then, it was just the work. It was. getting in there, man, when when I tell you when I got to Brookwood, I still remember looking at the, the record boards and just telling myself, man, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to be different. And from there it meant looking at my uh, weight sheet. If it's at 200 pounds, I'm putting 220 on. If it's squat, if it's, you know, 300, I'm putting 330 on. Like, to the point where my weight training coach would get mad at me. And then I sought out the gurus. I went and I I couldn't even, we couldn't even afford it. Like, my, my dad lost his business. Mom... Like I shared almost died from a surgery that went wrong, but like I went out, I met with the trainers and I just, you know, my, my literally coach actually paid for my first uh, training session, like first five. And then after that, talked to him, I don't have the money, but I showed up, I was humble, hungry, and they no lie, let me train for free. Like all the way throughout till I got to the NFL, basically, man. So. That was uh that that journey of just going from kind of knowing how to gift to like actually making it a reality. And it, it was not easy by any means. Like I I'm gonna tell you, some serious work. I left high school, benching four twenty five, squatting five fifteen, cleaning cleaning three twenty. And uh it was just the constant work and, and being comfortable with
0: failure and getting back up every single day and getting back at it. For anyone who's not a weightlifter, that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> Man. I, <laughs> Knees still hurting. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Well, you came out of high school, and, and you were a four-star recruit, the number 11 yeah. linebacker in the class 2007. And as you mentioned, Georgia was the only choice for you. You had tons of other offers to pick from, but Georgia was the one that you wanted to go with. Yeah. And when you got to Athens, life changes a little bit when you come out of high school and go into college, especially as an athlete because you walk on campus, and you shared a little bit on Cherokee Focus that a couple of your teammates – maybe didn't, you know, mm-hmm. give you a little bit of a hard time. But building that team is mm-hmm. really what it's about. And when you come back around, that's that's really the key in and point and what makes a team work. Yep. You talked about your relationship with Coach Richt, Mark mm-hmm. Richt, who obviously is one of the greatest coaches in Georgia history. And, yeah. Um, you know, obviously has fallen a little bit on hard times recently, but nonetheless, right. as far as his health goes. But when you look back at the transition from high school to college mm. – What kept you centered? Because it seems to me, speaking to you now, and you've brought up your faith throughout your life Right. right. the time that we've been talking. What keeps you grounded from being in a high school classroom and then going to college where you have all those freedoms?
1: Yeah, it really started with that foundation and the early challenges that I faced. Like, you see so many, I mean, not just athletes, but people in general, like, they are always good, right? They're always the first. They're always, you know... um, mentioned and acknowledged and whatnot. That wasn't me. I wasn't Georgia's first option. You know, every team that I got on was high school, college pros. I was always the guy who started out second string scout team. And then I had to work and work and work and work for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then it's like through an act of God, <laughs> I got promoted and I got that opportunity and, and I was ready. Um, And that was the story for me. at at University of Georgia like I'm telling you man I used to be me and my little league coach he would check me out of school and no lie we would go down 316 and this was before I was even on Georgia's radar we'd be at practice like coach Rick didn't know who I was Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know coach Bobo who recruited me didn't know who I was but I had one connection through one of my coaches at that time uh, coach May he knew a couple of the players up there and so through that relationship I got up there Mm And I'll go up there with my Timberland boots on and and my hoodie on just trying to look bigger, trying to to impress them, man. So I went up there so much that by the time I got to University of Georgia, everybody knew, already knew who I was. Right. The short, you know, short linebacker from, from Brookwood who just happened to make a lot of plays, who they took a chance on. And so that was one thing that kept me centered was that humility, man, and that chip that was always on my shoulder from hearing that, you know, that from being doubted so many times. And so I, and then for my parents, like I said, I, that was in my DNA, just the humility, just knowing that it's, I'm playing for something bigger, you know, at this time, man, I get to university of Georgia and my family's struggling, right? I was on like a full scholarship, but I'm taking out student loans so I can send uh, some money back to my family to help them pay the bills and things like that. So I had no room to, I knew I had no room for error, right? Yeah. I had no room for error, man. And so I got up there, and the first thing going from high school to college, you realize is none of your accomplishments matter. <laughs> like yep. You might as well not even mention it because you walk into that locker room and you see a Matt Stafford and you see a Sean Marino, and then you see a Darius Dewberry who's 6'3", 250, yep. and was number one not in Georgia but in the nation at linebacker. And you're just like, all right, I'm going to just be quiet. And I'm just <laughs> like, find my way to my locker, and I'm just going to put this work in. And it, it's like that moment that I call it the valley moment. And we all have to go through that, right? Where we get to a new position in life, a new level, and nobody's acknowledging us. We have not, you know, necessarily accomplished where we want to be. We're not getting paid when we want to get paid. like all. This, and you have to literally operate in faith and just know and trust that the work that you're putting in, eventually something good is going to happen. And so, man... <laughs>
0: Well, that's a, v- that's a very positive outlook on that.
1: Yeah. And so when I tell you, man, I got there and I didn't, I, I had times where I got so frustrated. I was like, man, why didn't they just rest me? Why didn't they, why'd they even bring me here? You know? And those are the times where I had to like really, really like focus on my faith Yeah, and just be like, I'm going to just, I, I call it now, I coined the phrase, operate at the level of your vision. There so you have those times in life where. You look around, your circumstances don't look the way you wanted to, your life doesn't look the way you wanted to, your relationships don't look the way you want it to. Your circumstances are telling you one thing that your life looks a certain way. But when you focus on that vision and you and you project yourself and you ask yourself, what does what does my vision require of me to do right now? And you use that vision to set the standard for your life and, and set a standard that regardless of your circumstance, you say, I'm gonna, man, I'm gonna wake up this certain time. I'm gonna surround myself with these types of people. I'm going to put this for this kind of effort based off my vision, not based off of where I am now, man, it changes things. And so that's, that's what I did at, at university of Georgia. I started going to the weight room before anybody got there, staying in the uh, film room after practice was over. You know, I would, sometimes we, we have study hall. So I'll go to study hall. We end at nine o'clock. I'll come back to the film room, watch more film, studying Tony Taylor, studying Odell Thurman, watching Thomas Davis, just devouring that film And weeks and weeks and weeks passed. (laughs) It was like, it it didn't come. It still didn't change immediately. But I'm telling you, man, like that eighth week came. And, I mean, I got that opportunity. It was Tennessee game. The guy ahead of me uh, blew his play. He messed up. Game was already over. We are already down by three touchdowns. And Coach says, man, Rennie, you're in. And got in and made a couple plays. And the rest is history. But it took going through that valley moment for me to, you know, eventually get there.
0: Yeah, when you talk about that hard work in the Valley, it ended up being a pretty high high coming out of the other side of that. You ended up sophomore, junior year, led the team in tackles. Obviously, we talked about three-time All-American. You know, Even your freshman year, as you mentioned, got in at Game 8, but the last four games that you played in ended up being a terrific start to a great career at the University of Georgia. So uh, that's obviously the football acumen, but there's also another thing that happened while you were at Georgia that you were talking about, Mm -hmm. and you have a little girl that – You have written a book with, as a matter of fact, and that's an interesting story that we'll touch on later. I definitely want to get the inside story on that, but as we're talking about changes and you talk about high school to college, tell us a little bit about now you're in college. Now you have a daughter. Tell us a little bit about that change.
1: Yeah, so uh, her mom and I dated in high school. She was the manager of the Water Girl, and uh, we're always together, and you know, you got that puppy love. You get to, to college. You don't want to let it go. And, um, you know, end up having uh, my daughter or we ended up having a daughter together my sophomore year. Like this is in the, the heat of <laughs> my career. Like, I mean, she was literally born after the South Carolina game, like oh. went to South Carolina, came back to Athens and I'm a father like it is. Was a crazy transition, and I'm still trying to figure out like life. Right, I'm 20 about to turn 21 <laughs> years old, so I'm barely you know old enough to even drink legally, right? Right. Well, the legally <laughs> part's the important yeah, exactly. part of that. But <laughs> and at, so I struggle, man, because it's just like I'm I'm trying to be this the top athlete. I'm trying to be a captain. I'm trying to get to the next level, but then you know I have to also be a father, and so I'm it'd be like the end of games and. You know, trying to get that done and then go, you know, drive, make that drive and go be a part-time father. So it was very, very, very tough. Um, but it taught me so much. And that level of drive and dedication just completely changed because I knew it wasn't just about me anymore. That I had somebody who was literally depending on me to succeed. And so she was my, she was and is still my motivation, man. And not just to perform better, but just who I am as a man. You know, what I represent um, and it's been so many times where it's like, I have to ask myself, okay, you know, if I really love my daughter, right. Who, who do I need to be, who do I need, who do I need to become? And so in terms of holding me to a higher standard, like she, she did that for me, man. And, um, even when it came to the book, like I realized that there's so many things we have an opportunity to do as parents that we don't even realize. And, and one of the biggest, uh, things we have the opportunity to do as parents is create new cultures, we have the opportunity to create new norms, new belief systems for our children based off of how we approach life. And so with the book, you know, I written my first book in 2013, and the second book was – to it came – the vision came to me in 2017 when I was on my way out of football to transitioning. And she, at this time, she loved to uh, draw. She, You know, she's five, six uh, years old, and she loves drawing. She loves writing and different things like that. And so as I'm writing the book, I'm just like, hey, I see her, you know, doing what she does. And I'm like, hey, babe, come over here. Let me ask you a question. And I was like, how would you like to become an author with daddy and, and, and speak and, and uh, impact lives? And, of course, like any child, she's like, yeah, of course. She you know, she's getting into. And so, um, you know, because I was writing a children's book, I was like, man, let me get her perspective. Yeah. You know, let me see how she views the world. What what she believes uh, will, will make you a star or, like, you know, uh, build that character, that confidence, which is what the book is about. And so, yeah, we, we partnered, we did it together. I, I was able to teach her about entrepreneurship, about public speaking, about royalties and and all that yeah. good stuff and actually take her to a couple of schools. We actually went to a couple of schools out here in Cherokee County. And, um, yeah, it, it's just a special moment, man, just to be able to have that experience with my daughter. Any parent listening, man, if you have the opportunity, if you see your child has a gift or something that inspires them, take it a step further, like investing, you know, helping them create that business or or creating that product or or whatever it is everybody has a a gift for a reason. And no lie from that. Like now, you know, she was just with me. We were just together last week and she's still writing. Like she's working on a book right now. I didn't even have to tell her to do this. So it's, it's very, very
0: powerful. Planting those seeds early. Yeah. So that's it. That's awesome. Well let's wrap up our football talk here and then we can get more into who you are, but you come out of Georgia, your junior season, What was your decision to come out? Why did you decide to go your senior season? What was the decision like for that?
1: Man, it was such a tough decision. Actually, I was one of the toughest decisions of my life and uh, definitely took a lot of prayer, a lot of, uh, you know, conversations. Had to talk to Coach Rick, of course, the big dog. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll I'll never forget, I made that pros and cons list. And uh, one of the biggest things for me was just being able to help my family. And um, I think that's a lot of times as fans, uh, with me now being a fan, we don't realize just how much... Players go through. Like when we're out there, we see them making plays, and you know, they're these big, giant, ginormous guys, like a Jordan Davis or something. Yeah. But we forget that when you take that helmet off, when you take that jersey off, you're a human being. Like you're dealing with real life challenges um, that a lot of times nobody knows about. And so for me, like I said, my family was struggling, daughter. You know, I got to be able to provide for my daughter the the baby diapers and formula ain't cheap. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had to do what I had to do, man. And and making that move, it changed everything. Like now uh, I was the youngest in my family, but now I go from youngest in my family to breadwinner. Now I go from student to having to be a CEO, having to get an agent, a financial advisor, having to train and not just train to. For the love of it but this is my job this is my profession my body is my business right and so there's so many things that that changed in that moment and um you know i was glad that i did it in that time you know people always ask me do you regret leaving there? i was like no like in that time like i had to <laughs> like, right i literally had to and it, it's like one of those things where it's just like stocks right when your stock is high if you don't cash out on that thing, you may not get another another opportunity. And for us as athletes, like, we have a small window of opportunity. Like, literally, you have a .008% chance of even making it to that level of your name even being called on, on draft day. Right. And so I knew, like, if I come back, like, I'm not going to get any taller. Yeah. <laughs> the knock against me is my height. And yeah. I got a second, third-round grade. And so, yeah, I had to make that decision, man.
0: So when it came time and, and you're sitting there and waiting mm. for your name to be called, what's that night like? And I know, it, Sheesh. you know, round three is day two, but that's got to be a stressful weekend knowing that you're just going to sit there and, and hope that the phone rings. And, and obviously it did for you at round three and you were picked number 97 overall. But yeah, yeah, that night's got to be stressful.
1: Oh, man, extremely stressful. I mean, for those of y'all who are listening who have ever – You know, done a job interview. Typically, you know that company, they'll interview you, and they may have a couple other candidates and whatnot, but you know you got a fairly good shot. Draft day, you number one, you don't know how many other people they've interviewed. Number two, you don't know where you're going. So imagine (laughs) sitting down with a job interview. You don't know if you're going to be in California New York. You don't know – Tennessee like you're just literally waiting for a random phone call like in the matrix like when he's just you know, like, <laughs> all right tell me what to do next. right
0: well i think one of my favorite things you said in your uh, in your speech today was that you, you distinctly remember the six one five area code yeah for Tennessee. And I think I think that's really telling because oh, I can man. only imagine sitting there and having a family and, and a daughter like you were talking about and sitting there looking at the phone and going, I hope it's this area code. And right. when you look and see Tennessee, you go, well, at least it's not a different time zone. At least it's not across right. the country. So that Honestly, really resonates
1: it don't matter what area code that thing is. <laughs> you're gonna pick you're it up. Just hoping, yeah, you're just hoping you get a call because like you'll go into it and Uh, you'll just, like, number one, you're just in a position that you've always dreamed of. So that alone is just, like, a surreal moment. You're like, I'm actually here. Like, after all that work, after all the times, like, you heard no. After all the times, like, for me, I heard that I was too short. Like, all those things are playing through my head and through my mind. And just, like, all the struggles my family's been through. And, you know, you get there, and it's just like, wow. And then the jazz starts. (laughs) Yep. And then you start seeing the names, and then and then you start seeing names that you don't really know. You never heard of these names. Like these are guys from Idaho, and then they'll <laughs> draft somebody from Iowa State, and it's like, what? What did this guy come from? He, this person wasn't on Mel Kiper's top ten, right? Top ten or whatever. And then you know your your heart just starts beating fast, and names start coming, and then people are calling you like, you've been drafted, yeah, you've been drafted. So that <laughs> that gets frustrating too. And then, you know, you finally hear your name called and it's just like the most powerful moment. It really is like a movie. Like you just see your whole life uh, flash before your eyes and leading up to that moment, all the work you put in. Like I said, all those moments that were just tough that you had to battle through and it's overwhelming. And and it's like in that moment, you, you're you not the only one who won, right? Right. It's like everybody who was a part of your success in that moment feels like they won. And it's the best feeling in the world. Your teachers, your coaches, the chaplains, the, you know, lunch ladies, man. (laughs) Right. It's like everybody in my community won. Everybody from my family's home country, Liberia, felt like they won. They got somebody that represents them, man. So it's so much bigger than just being drafted.
0: Yeah and, yeah, and one thing I want to ask you with that is that you, you mentioned in the speech again that when you let, when you got to Tennessee, yeah. there were lots of changes coming. Oh, yeah. And, you know, talking about coaching changes mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the format of everything. And people don't realize with coaching changes, and, and you can speak to this, that the philosophy of everything changes, not oh, only man. the X's and O's, but every decision they've made with personnel. So one thing that you've said in a couple of your speeches before that I've watched is that you said um, – you know, it's a lot like a corporate atmosphere, yes. except nor- typically a corporation is not hiring someone behind you just to take your job. Yeah. And you were telling a story about how you will walk out to the water machine and <laughs> yeah. say, oh, what's your name? You must be new here. Yeah, I'm blah, blah, blah. <laughs> oh, what position you play? Linebacker. Oh, well, great. You're here to take my job. <laughs> right. So that's, that's you know, when you, when you talk about those kind of things, mm. tell us a little bit about you... you in tennessee and then you went to tampa bay yeah and then you left the nfl to go to the cfl and had a a good season there and then obviously the end of your career i'll ask you about that in just a second yeah but talk about your your commitment to who you were Mm. and how you stayed grounded once again when you knew that there were changes coming and that there was always someone gunning for your job
1: yeah i mean it is one of the tough realities that you have to face being at that level and uh is the just the how cutthroat it is and how it's a business. Like literally you cannot take anything personal at that level because like I I mentioned in my other speeches, it's a corporate company and you are the product. So just like any product, you're trying to get the biggest return on your investment. You're trying to make sure you keep your costs low and your profits high. Like it's just, it's, it's a, you know, they have a sales team, they have a marketing team, they have a community relations team. It's no different. And so when you don't understand that going in and you love the game, like I did, it can definitely be disheartening. And that's where you have to, you know, come back within yourself and say, hey, man, I'm, I'm here. What I'm doing is bigger than just this, this job or this position or getting another contract. You have to have things. And that's why I talk about finding your fuel. Like, you really, really have to have things within you that, regardless of what you face, regardless of who the head coach is, who the GM is, regardless of if they cut you that next day or they cut you six months later, like, you're still going to be able to maintain yourself and not go crazy because you really, really do not know. I mean – You're talking about like in a lot of cases you'll do imagine doing a job interview for an entire year and then you get to the end of it and they just say, they don't say, Oh, you need to work on this. You need to improve this. They just say, Hey, we're no longer going to need you. And you just work an entire year. You train. I mean, just like crazy. And that's all they have to say at the end of it. And you have to now go back home and train for every day as if you're going to get a call tomorrow. It may not come two months. May not come for four months, but you gotta be ready. Like that was the toughest thing in my life. And for most, you know, most people who watch sports, they don't think about the other side of it. They see the Matt Rhines, yep. they see the Julio Jones, they see the Todd Gurleys, the guys who are the face of the organizations. Like they're good, <laughs> right? But <laughs> the rest, the majority, the ninety percent of the guys, these guys are fighting to earn that contract every single year. When you get that contract, I tell people all the time, it's not like publishing clearinghouse where you just get that (laughs) big, (laughs) big big check. check. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, you got to earn that check every single year. And if it says, you know, five years, you know, 3.5 million or whatever, that first year you're getting about 500, 400, 500. And uncle Sam's about to take half of that. You better believe it. (laughs) And then you got to give your agent another 3% of that. Then next year you, they bump you up a little bit. You get, you know, 600 and whatnot. So on and so forth. Most time, you don't even get to that third year. They've already right. found somebody to replace you. But yeah, just understanding the intricacies of the business of sports uh, really, really helped me as I transition into actual business. And and just because I was like, if I can navigate this, if I can learn how to, you know, maximize this platform, boy, the the regular corporate world is is nothing. Because mo- you know, most people don't have to walk around like looking over their shoulder or having someone who somebody who has a notepad. Imagine <laughs> yeah. that. Like you had somebody who had a notepad behind you right now who's taking notes on your performance. Right. Every single day, you got cameras watching you in there. <laughs> yeah. Gotta, it's it's crazy, man. But it, it really was preparing me for the future. And in that. Hi,
2: I'm Drew Tutton with Tutton Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram in Jasper, Georgia, also known as Jasper Jeep. This month is the start of something new sales event, and boy, have we started something new. Tutton Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram is the fastest growing Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram dealer in the Southeast. Right now, we have 50 brand new Ram trucks to choose from and nearly 60 new Jeeps, starting as low as 23.9, as well as 0% for 72 months. Be American, buy American at Tutton, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram.
0: NFL transition period, you wrote your first book. Yeah. If, if I remember correctly, that's after you got cut by Tennessee, right? Before right. Tampa Bay. Right, right, right. So yeah. tell us a little bit about the circumstances for writing that book and and publish it a little bit, you know? talk. Yeah, about
1: it. definitely, man. That was a transcending moment in my life. This was after I got cut and I'm back home. I'm figuring out what I want to do with my life. And I'm, you know, really, I, I did a personal, what I call a personal SWOT analysis. Uh, and that was where I basically sat down and I tried to extract all of the transferable skills, all the experiences, uh, really tried to get to understand my values, really understand uh, also how I could provide value to the business world outside of my jersey. And I feel like so many people don't get the opportunity to do that. But it's such a powerful thing uh, because, you know, a lot of us have our jobs. Right. And we get focused on that title in that position that we're in instead of really understanding the entire experience in terms of like all the skills that we have that can provide value outside of just that title. So I had the opportunity to do that. And one of the things that I landed on was communication was writing was music. Um, I really just got an understanding of myself in terms of what I was passionate about and what I, like I said, could leverage um, in terms of my past experience to provide value to the marketplace. So I decided I was going to take a stab on a book. So at that time, I was reading tons of books, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, Ogmandino, uh, I mean, just so so many people, uh, Law of Success, I remember reading that book, and, and just really devouring leadership and personal development books, and I just got inspired, man, uh, as I thought about so many people who would be in the same position that I was in, and that's where it really started for me as far as my entrepreneurship journey was like, thinking about those people who would be cut from their jobs, people who lose their business like my dad. People who go through divorce and now, or they're empty nesters and now they're just in a moment of transition, right? And so that's where the concept of free agent came. The book title came from which is just uh, using free agent as a basically as an analogy or as as a example of how we all go through those moments of transition or those moments where when a place of uncertainty in life and just what do you do when you're in that time? How do you continue to build yourself? right, and take things to the next level, even though you may be in that place where you don't know what's going to happen next. And so writing that, man, it, it was the thing that created the platform for me to become a speaker and to do what I'm doing now. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for it. Honestly, I'm thankful for the challenges and and uh, for that moment, because I would not be here right now with you if it was not for me getting cut and, and being in that position.
0: So how long, I guess I should back up, when you were a kid, were you always a great communicator? I know, you know, you mentioned in your keynote that you were the uh, the talker of the class. <laughs> yeah. and You often got, uh, you know, escorted out of the classroom for talking, and I, I get that. I, I was the same way. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but when did you decide, and, and was it at, at Georgia or at Brookwood, were you a vocal leader on the mm, team? Yeah. And, and when did you decide that you were comfortable enough to stand up in front of a room of people? Or, you know, I think even the more um, – I guess the more difficult thing would be putting pen to paper yeah. and putting your heart and soul out there and really the book that you wrote is kind of about how you feel like you failed in some way mm-hmm. but you're making it a positive thing and you're going to turn it into a success and yeah. one thing that you were talking about is that sometimes failures are not steps back they're steps forward they're a necessary evil for lack of a better term. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about when did you find out that this was something that you could do mm-hmm. and then tell me a little bit about you know, what the what the reception with the book was like and, and how many people have, have, you know, that's really helped.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it was definitely a journey. I'm not going to lie. And even when I did started writing the book, like you always, when you're in uh, unfamiliar territory, there's that tendency to have imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. So I had those thoughts like, man, who's going to want to re- read a book by a football player? Who cares what I have to say? And one of the things that I did was that I – just put immerse myself into the environment of my vision. So I went to a bookstore and I started walking around, started picking up the different books and looking at the different titles. And I was like, man, hold up. There's books on cook. There's cookbooks. There's books on, you know, countries and history (laughs) and biographies. It's like, if all these people wrote books then why not me? And I asked myself that question, why not? Right. Why not Kern? I know there's somebody that I can reach. If nothing else, I know my Georgia uh, Bulldog fans are going to at least support me. And at the bare minimum, I know that years from now that my grandchild will be able to know who their grandfather was. And my daughter will be able to know. She was, you know, three, four years old at that time. She'll be able to know who I was as a man. So I was like, if nothing else, if I'm able to just accomplish this, then it's success. If I'm able to just sell one copy, it's success. So I I lowered uh, my expectations. And then I also, like I said, I immersed myself in my vision and just asked myself the question, why not me? That was two powerful things I did. But as far as like knowing that I was ever gonna be a writer, it's like you don't, it's like hindsight's so always 2020, right? Yeah. So when I look back on my life, there's always <laughs> those sprinkles of just uh, moments where I knew I, I kind of when I look back now, it's like, okay, I see it. I see where this was. Like, for example, it's it's funny, it's hilarious, but this no lie it, is where I kind of think about like when I'll be at school, I would hate to write, I would hate to read books. But if there was a girl that I liked, okay Oh boy <laughs> Man, I'll turn into Shakespeare. There you go. And I, I wrote some of the best love letters. Man. <laughs> I understand so, that. And then with, with football, um, you know, I was always that guy that would stand up if, if we we're going through adversity, if we just lost, I'll be that guy to stand up and just say something that need to be said uh, after the games, you know. I would really, really take interviews seriously. I mean, and I would you know, really think about giving articulate answers, you know, not just saying, Oh, you know, we're just playing, we're just playing hard. We're just going, you know, just the cliche things, but I really try to give like thought provoking answers that can give people a perspective and insight on my mindset and our, our, just where we were as a team. And so just those different experiences, it was like leading me to, to this path that I didn't even realize. So those were some of the things that some of the experiences that I had that, you know, when I did write the book and put it out there, man, uh, it was like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is my calling. And then the response, man, was so powerful. That was the most powerful thing. And I, anybody out there who's thinking about writing a book, like, do it. Because you just don't know who you're going to reach. You don't know who you're going to touch. Who you're going to inspire where other people are in their life. And, like, one of the I – man had so many different experiences. There were people buying, you know, books for me. At this time, I hadn't traveled anywhere. Like, the only place I had been was to Nashville. And there were people from Texas buying it from – you know different countries who who had bought it there was literally i, w- I was in athens because after i wrote my book i came back to school to finish up my degree right and um there was a, as i was walking around athens one night i went out downtown and i got an email on my phone i looked at it and it was a soldier from uh, who was in afghanistan at that time who had uh, read my book during his security post and he emailed me to let me know how inspired he was like just i'm just like whoa um, and so, yeah, the response was amazing, man. And then got Coach Rick to do the forward, and, and yeah, the support from the Bulldog Nation was, was there, man. From all the people that that saw me come up, you know, my teachers, my high school, um, just the whole entire community.
0: It was powerful. And love it or hate it, Bulldog Nation is strong. Oh man, I mean, we we powerful. are we are also uh, we have a. It's a radio station as well, um, WLJ Radio, and we're a proud sponsor of UGA Athletics and do UGA football. Yeah. And we're always impressed with the outreach that we get. So I know not everybody who's listening will be a Georgia fan, but yeah, even yeah. if you're not, you have to respect the fan base because <laughs> they're always coming out strong. Definitely. Um, what did you graduate? I know you said you went back and got your degree. What What was your degree in?
1: Yeah, uh, I graduated with a degree in, from Terry College of Business and, uh, Business Administration, Concentration on general business just because I wanted to be an entrepreneur and uh, I earned that thing, man. Yeah, Ali, <laughs> that was hard. Like, I don't, I still to this day don't know how I, I made it through finance. Like, that was the accounting and finance were the hardest class. I literally, like, bawled, like, cried like a baby after I passed. And it was just by, like, the grace of God. Like, I just, mm-hmm. Like they just curved that thing just enough, <laughs> so I got I got in by the skin of my teeth, like Indiana Jones, like, yeah. like yeah, man. Like,
0: <laughs> well, I think a whole yeah. bunch of college students out there just went, oh, good, I wasn't the only one to cry. Oh
1: man, like, and that was the last. That was the last class I needed to get my degree, and not only that, like, that was after I tore my patella tendon. Mm-hmm. Like, my career is over. I'm on crutches. I'm in a straight leg. Like when my leg propped up, I'm taking it online, and I mean when I tell you it it was like yeah, like when I hit that send button and I got that that grade, man. I think I got like a uh, like a, <laughs> a, a a seventy point or Perfect. like one or something. Great. <laughs> yeah. man. I I just cried because I I just wanted to graduate. I just wanted to, you know. I I promised my mom that I was gonna get my degree, and like yeah, bro, like. Getting that was that was bigger in no lie than draft day. Yeah. Getting that degree from University of Georgia. It's hang when you walk in my place, that's the first thing you see is my degree from University of Georgia, man. Cause it was just so hard. And I was going through trying to get back in the NFL at the same time and just trying to be a good father and just trying to survive. Like so yeah, it it was uh, I earned it, man. And it, it's it feels good. And now I can share, you know, I can share it with my daughter, I can
0: share it with so many people. Yeah. So I'm proud of it, man. And and you talked about your patella tendon there at the end of your career. Yeah. You know, we, we kind of brushed past it, but let's go back and just revisit it. You you transitioned from the NFL to the CFL. Yeah. And that's where the end of your career happened there. What was it like giving that up? Because that's what you've done since mm. high school. You were talking about, you know, you knew you were going to be a bulldog yeah. from yeah, the yeah, time yeah. you walked in there the first time. How did you transition, and, and was there any – I, I don't want to say jet lag, but was there any resentment that you had towards that situation, and and how'd you overcome that to be the positive, mm. you know, person that you are now?
1: Oh yeah, it, it's a process. I mean, we all go through transitions in life, right? And what I realize now, looking back, is like when you go through a transition that's that much a part of your life that you literally start from when you're a your child, it is literally like part of you dies, and a lot of us don't don't think about that as athletes, but like. A portion of you dies, a part of you that was connected to people that have relationships that were based off of this, like your routine and the way that you approach your life, your mindset and the way that you're wired. Part of that dies. And so it's like any death. Right. You have to go through a, a grieving process. So, yes, I went through the resentment and the anger phase and the denial phase and all those phases of grief and loss that we all go through when we lose somebody. And that was the thing. But the blessing in it was that I went through it early in my career. So when I got cut that first time and I had to spend eight months back home, like that was my transition. And so I got the opportunity to have that awareness to where I went through the transition, but I was still uh, playing the game. And when I played the game, when I went back after those eight months, it's like I had a different perspective on it. So it'd be like if you lost your job now and you got the chance to like really, really understand that your job is just a platform. So it's about the transferable skills that you build. It's about the relationships that you build. You get to see like the fact, like just a whole different perspective on what you do and understanding that it's not who you are while you're still in it. So as I was playing, I was doing the speaking, I was building my brand. I was connecting with uh, people beyond just those who I played with and those in the sports bubble. So That, like, changed my whole trajectory so that when I did transition completely and leave the game, it wasn't as bad. And I talked to so many people. I coach people now. I coach athletes on this. I coach business leaders on this. But, you know, just understanding that you can't just, you know, have that job, have that platform and think that that's just it. Transition is going to come. So you have to prepare for it. You know, you have to position yourself to whether you have that job or not, that you're going to be good and that you have relationships and everything else that's established so that once you transition, it's just moving on to that next thing that,
0: you know, could be your real calling. And we talked about you being an author yeah. But how do you transition from that into being a speaker? Because it seems mm-hmm. to me, you know, from, from what I've seen on your website, and I've heard you have multiple talks. And the one thing that I do like about your, your speeches, or, or however you want to call it, mm-hmm. is that they're, they're different. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. the one that you gave us today is something that when you go to your website haven't seen before and mm-hmm. you know, the one that I really enjoyed watching was the one you did it you did at Coca-Cola mm. I guess a couple of years ago yeah, and, yeah. and that was that was a, a very good one to watch because I think it gave an insight to the the mind of an NFL player and how it is a business because I don't think most fans think of it that way, it's right, just right, right, another right. team. Yeah. But, you know, how, how did you decide that you were going to start talk would start giving speeches. Did somebody come to you and say, we yeah. want you to just talk about this. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So that, that actually started in high school, man. And um, yeah, I was not, <laughs> I would not have seen myself as a leader at all at that time. Like we're talking about ninth grade, 10th grade, mm-hmm. you know, but as my platform grew, you know, as I started to get the, the, you know, as I committed to the university of Georgia and I overcame the challenges that I faced and, Became that that name in Snellville, that that Rennie Curran, undersized linebacker, uh, who inspired other young kids. I realized like it came with influence, but it also came with the responsibility. And there was a counselor. It was my sophomore junior year. uh, A counselor that put me in a position of leadership, and it started small. She put me in a position even though I wouldn't have looked at myself as a leader during that time, but she just saw something in me and she said, Rennie, I want you to be a peer leader. I want you to be a peer leader. And what that meant is like during lunchtime, I would go and I would sit with kids, you know, the the freshmen, and I would just be there for them and I would just talk to them, you know, if they're sitting by themselves. And that also meant that I would go to elementary schools, and I would just do a book reading with them and just, like, spend time with them. But through that experience, like, I, I started to understand how I could use my voice and my presence to just be an influence. So I'm, I that It started there, and then I'm going to Little League teams, and I'm speaking to them about just believing in themselves and just overcoming whatever adversity they face. And so that's where it really started, man. And, and once you know, I got to University of Georgia, start doing it a little bit more and started speaking a little bit more. And like I said, I was doing the interviews and the, the shows and whatnot, Got to the NFL, and like I said, once I got cut, man, it just opened up that opportunity and that time to uh, be able to do more of it. And once I wrote that book, it created the platform for me to actually start doing it as a career. So I built my website from scratch. I I really started studying the game, and I approached it just like football. Like I, that's one of the things I love most about what I do. Is people may not see it that way, but like being a speaker is no different than being a linebacker for me. Uh, my film study that i did before my games is me studying an organization and me studying like their challenges and their objectives and their goals and understanding like where they're trying to get to and then uh even the preparation right there was so much preparation that went into me getting out on that field and making plays same thing as a speaker i got to prepare i gotta get my mind right i gotta go over my routine and then game day comes right mm-hmm. and so speaking for me now is that's my game day so it's like i, I Got, I lay out my clothes just like I, I used hey, to lay out my jersey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I lay that out, man, and I just put myself in the mindset to where I'm not making tackles, but I'm making an impact in a different way. And so, um, yeah, that's that's where it really uh, stemmed from, man. And I found I'm I'm so blessed and fortunate to do what I do because so many of us as athletes and and just as people in general, we we struggle when we have something that just inspires us, something that gives us life, and then it it's it's taken away. Um, in terms of replacing that and i've been able to find something that i that replaces that feeling that gives me that same rush that same feeling of just excitement uh in, in speaking man so yeah i, I love it man
0: Well, I'm going to ask you the hardest question of the day. Yeah. yeah. What's next? You've, you've established yourself here. And and as we talked about, you had a a fantastic speech today and you've given them to some top level corporations. We talked about the one that you gave at Coca-Cola. Yeah. You've been a speaker at a lot of different places. Where do you see this? Do you have any aspirations to grow this larger? What, what's next? Where, where do you think it takes you?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, and I think about this all the time. Uh, I'm sure you're probably familiar with this and I'm, some may connect to this, some may not, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And so he talks about self-actualization. And for me, I've gotten to that point of self-actualization, like understanding self, understanding my emotions. So moving beyond just my basic uh, physiological needs and whatnot. And now I feel like that model, it leaves something out, right? It talks about Mm self-actualization, but it doesn't talk about helping others reach that. And so that's what's next for me is like, now that I've gotten to that place, right? Where I understand self, I've, I've done the work I've, you know, um, gotten to a good place as an entrepreneur. There's always another level, right? There's always more you can do as a business person. Um, you know, another goal you can hit. But now for me, it's about service. It's about serving others. And for me, that's a different type of currency. So helping somebody that's a business leader. And that's why I do the coaching now, like helping somebody that's a business leader take their brand to the next level, helping them transition, helping them get more organized and more efficient or helping the athlete transition or helping an organization coming in and helping them with strategy and, and branding and things like that. Like really just leveraging all the skills and all the experiences that I had to, to help somebody else. That's what's next for me. And that's what I'm currently doing. That's what I love to do. And that almost gives me even more joy than, um, than speaking. Honestly, man, just seeing somebody else have that breakthrough moment. Um, in in their personal life or in their professional life. And and it just gives me so much joy
0: hierarchy. I'm Bill West. I'm here with Jim Brown, owner of Kitchen Tune-Up. Jim, what makes you stand out from the other remodeling companies? Well, Bill, we offer five ways to update your kitchen. We can restore, which is what we call our tune-up. We do repainting, re-dooring, refacing, or we can replace with all new cabinetry. This also includes a full suite of complimentary services, including countertops and backsplash installation. We also have comfortable payment plans to make your kitchen project very affordable. Trust is important in the remodeling business. Why should I trust Kitchen Tune-Up? Bill, that's a great question. For starters, we're local. Our office and warehouse is in Canton, so we're very motivated to make sure our customers are happy. We take pride in our reputation no matter where we do business in North Georgia. That's right. You can remodel a kitchen almost anywhere in North Georgia, Cherokee, Forsyth, Pickens, Gilmore, Bartow, and surrounding counties. How do folks get in touch with you, Jim? Check us out at kitchentuneup.com or give us a call at 470-808-9905 of needs, not something I thought that we'd be talking about. With <laughs> right, right. Hey, I respect it. I respect thank it. You, but, thank you. Well, it's been a fantastic pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know that you've, you're a busy guy. We do have a couple of quick questions that we want to ask you. This is the fun part of the segment and yeah, Katie, sure. Katie's going to be bringing it here to me. So, All right. um, and these are Super easy. So just the first thing that pops in your head, just let me know. Okay. Uh, so we're gonna mix football and and just some stuff. So yeah. other than Sanford Stadium, what was your favorite stadium that you got to play in? Uh, I, the first one that comes to
1: mind is uh, was that's a tough one, eh? The cocktail party was special, man. Yeah. South Carolina was was good just because you know we beat, beat the crap out of them. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Every time we played them, um, yeah. I cocktail party is. I mean, we didn't win all of them, but the one we did win, that was special. Just running out
0: on the field. Tebow was crying, all that good stuff. <laughs> he <laughs> so, tended to do that for some reason. Right, but. Right. Now, you actually know Tebow. You guys yeah. have done a couple of events together, so that's that's a cool note. Oh, yeah. Um, it is the holiday season, so what would you say is your favorite Christmas movie? Ooh, Home Alone for sure. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cake or pie? I
1: definitely got to go with cake. Favorite type? Favorite type. I love cheesecake. Oh, so good. Yeah, cheesecake, especially turtle cheesecake. All right, what was
0: your favorite team to beat in high school?
1: Parkview, for sure. Parkview, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that was, I mean, golly, Brookwood Parkview, that was everything back then. Yep.
0: What about college?
1: College, uh, Florida for sure. Um, But, you know, for us, we got so many rivals. Florida, Auburn, I mean, South Carolina.
0: Tech, of course. I was about like, to say, nobody it. ever mentions Tech anymore. Yeah, no, nobody yeah. care about Tech, but you can't, <laughs> lose, can't lose to them. <laughs> and then in That's the NFL, sure. who was your favorite team to beat?
1: Man, um, in the NFL, uh, I would say, hmm, the being with the Titans, I mean, the the Steelers were the favorite team to beat. I mean, yeah. at that time, they had, golly, I remember seeing James Harrison. Just, he looked like a if you turned a Mack truck into a human <laughs> yeah. being, like this guy was ridiculous. But, yeah, that – just that whole experience was cool. Any team that you win, um, uh, win against, is a special win. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, what was your first car? Man, oh man, that's that back some very memories. <laughs> <laughs> man, my my first car was a uh, Dodge Ram Single Cab 1500. Has some nice rims on it. Okay, <laughs> it my was f- uh, black and black. Uh, no, silver with black stripes. My first was, was a Dodge Dakota. That. Nice, so there okay. you go. Um,
0: what was your earliest football memory?
1: Ooh. Man, so my earliest, earliest football memory was being in our apartments, uh, on Hills, Beaver Highway. And um, we had a field that uh, was about 25 yards or whatever. And uh, walking onto that field, being in my neighborhood, seeing a group of older kids, and just like any young kid, you're like, can I play? And then I ran out there and. Like, the first time holding the ball in my hands, it's like this light bulb clicked on, and it was like my spidey senses kicked in. <laughs> yeah, ended up having a good day that day. So that was my That's earliest awesome. football memory that kind of let me know, man, I, I got some here. Uh,
0: Butterfinger or Snickers, or if you have a other candy bar that you like, you're welcome to submit that as well.
1: I got to go with Snickers. And then, uh, yeah, Reese's Crunch Bar is another one oh, for sure. Anything yeah. Reese's makes <laughs> is an instant win. All right, all right.
0: <laughs> uh, what's your favorite season?
1: Favorite season is man, that's tough. The the fall. I like that. Well, I like spring, but I also like the fall, like you know, that kind of yeah. August, Septemberish time where it's not too hot, not too cold, mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. Uh
0: I don't know if you're much of a movie guy, but Star Trek or Star Wars?
1: Man. Hmm. That's a tough one. I I love Luke, man, but I gotta go <laughs> yeah. I gotta go with Star Trek, man. Okay. Um, my guy Labar Burton, yeah reading Rainbow. That's my guy. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a
0: big movie guy? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. a right. big movie guy. The last question I have, what's a hobby that you have that most people probably don't know about?
1: Definitely music. I think yeah. most, most people look at me as an athlete and not think anything like, like remotely clear, but I could sing a little bit. I, I grew up playing the piano, okay. the, the drums, played in the orchestra I was one of the few athletes that played or football players that played in the orchestra growing up, all the way till my junior year. What so, kind of
0: music do you get down to?
1: Man, I love everything. Um, definitely like R and B, hip hop. Yep. But then I uh, love uh, like house music. Love low, low. I've been getting in the lo- lo-fi. Fi? Yeah, lo-fi. Okay. Just when I need to study and concentrate. Yep. Yeah. So th- those are different types of music I love.
0: Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Rennie. Thank you so much for being with us on Enjoy definitely. Cherokee Voices and uh, welcome to the Cherokee County community.
1: Yes, sir. Thanks so much for having me, man. It's an awesome community. I look forward to continuing to stay involved, man, and go dogs.
2: Enjoy Cherokee Voices and Enjoy Cherokee Magazine are produced by EMI, a nationally recognized award-winning multimedia content producer, copyright 2021, all rights reserved. For additional information about this and all of our podcasts, visit enjoycherokee.com. If you enjoyed this show, click subscribe and take some time to rate and review the podcast now. It really does help us succeed in the booming world of podcasts. And now, stay tuned for Fun Facts with Katie. This is Nina McComas of Home Watch Caregivers of Canton, here to let you know that we are now serving Cherokee County and surrounding areas 24-7, helping your loved ones in compassionate and professional services, where we deliver exceptional support to the entire family. Like the poet Jill Anderson Espion said, even the loveliest shoulders can bear but so much. Call us at 678-753-9114. Again, that's 678-753-9114.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our Enjoy Cherokee Voices podcast. We are in the second part of the show, and from what I understand, it is time for Fun Facts with Katie. And I, because of that, I have brought in the woman of the hour herself, Katie Wheeler. Katie, thank you for joining me.
2: Yes, thank you.
0: So we had uh, Rennie Curran in here as we were talking to him, and, you know, very interesting guy. Mm-hmm. Um You know, I, I, one thing that I I think we did that most people will appreciate is that we didn't just cover the football aspect. We got to know Rennie the person.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's very interesting. It's really cool to have people like him who have had such great success and it's always inspiring. People love athletes and they are so inspiring. So, but he's such a nice guy and has such a successful career outside of just being a football player.
0: Yeah, genuinely nice guy. Seriously, um, you know, book him for your events. All the all the plugs there. Um, gave a great public speech, um, uh, and did a good job speaking to the Cherokee focus group. And then obviously mm-hmm. you heard him speak here on the podcast. So hope everyone enjoyed that. Uh, but from what I understand, Katie, of course, this is my first time here on enjoy Cherokee voices. So, uh-huh. um, I, you're more of the veteran here than I am. Um, but from what I understand, we're going to talk about some things that were spoken about during our podcast yep. and we'll fill in some of the facts and let the people know the background to it.
2: Yeah. We'll just give some extra info to people. Um, a lot of this we kind of, you touched on, and Rennie, of course, elaborated on, but just to reiterate some of the facts that we felt were interesting. Um, on the football side of things, Rennie, you know, straight out of high school, he was the number 11 inside linebacker prospect in the nation. So that's that's really except, exceptional. Um, and he also went on from there to be a finalist for the Kiss Award. Mm-hmm. And I know you mentioned that. And for non-football people like myself, um, the Kiss Award is annually given to the top linebackers at the high school, collegiate, and professional levels of football. So to be a finalist for that is really special. Um, and many of the, you know, top football players in the in the country have have had the opportunity to win that award, so... That's a special honor.
0: Yeah, and to clarify that, the Buck that he was a finalist for was a collegiate one. Okay, yeah. So.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. What's kind of cool and brings it back to Cherokee County again, so when Rennie was in high school playing for Brookwood um, in 2004, his high school team played Cherokee High School here locally um, at Tommy Baker Field where they actually, Rennie's team lost and Cherokee was successful and they actually advanced to the semifinals of the playoffs for that year um so that's kind of a cool cool fun fact yeah
0: and a fun note about that is uh that was the quarterfinal game that um Cherokee lost to Camden County when they got eliminated and the way the bracket played out in 2004 Sequoia and Cherokee were both in 6a at the time in in that classification and if they had both won their games then they would face each other for the semifinal for the GHSA playoffs. Um, of course, Sid Maxwell was the coach at Sequoia, legendary wing T coach. Um, and then Brian Dameron was the one um, down here at Cherokee. And that was, once again, another legend in the coaching arena. So, uh, yeah, if, as far as Cherokee County goes, there was a lot of history in 2004. Um, but nonetheless, it was very cool to hear Rennie talk about that game and that experience. And he remembered it. So, you know, right, it was yeah. only a sophomore year. So that was a, that was a nice touch. And um, I think a lot of people, when they go to Tommy Baker Field, um, the field mm-hmm. over there at Cherokee High School, they kind of get that uh, that impression that it is a historic field, and it, it mm-hmm. leaves a lasting impression.
2: Right. Yeah. Um. In his senior year, two thousand six, he was named to the AJC Super Eleven, and that awards the eleven best football players in the state by, of course, the Atlanta Journal Constitution. So that's a cool another local statewide award. Um, Our that he won.
0: Um, don't mean to interrupt you there. Oh, no, you're um, fine. Amir Morrison, the running mm-hmm. back for Riveridge, won it this past year. Um, oh, Was part neat. of the AJC Super 11. So, wow. um, and it highlights uh, top-level guys. If you go back and look at the AJC Super 11, um, there is a very high uh, Power 5 rate and then a Power 5 conference rate, um, which is uh, for non-football people, the SEC, ACC, Big mm-hmm. 12, Big 10, Pac-12, essentially just major colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, and then – there's a even higher success rate for NFL players out of that Super 11 because mm-hmm. Georgia is viewed as a top three state for high school football talent. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's a couple of notes in there. Obviously, Rennie made it to the NFL, so he's part of that statistic and mm-hmm. played Power 5 football as well.
2: Right, yeah, that's really cool. He's among the top, the best of the best. So shifting a little bit from the football side of things, he has now obviously – transformed his career into public speaking motivational speaking um, that kind of thing but he wrote his first book which is titled free agent the perspectives of a young african-american athlete that was published in 2013 um, with a foreword written by the university of georgia head coach mark richt Um, that's a really special book and i think it really helped rennie help people understand you know you got to kind of push through adversity and and that's sort of his his motto and the basis for a lot of his public speaking. Um, you can purchase Rennie's book on Amazon. He also has his own website, which is renniecurran.com. It's a good name. Makes it easy to remember.
0: And to spell that, by the way, it's Rennie, like Ronnie, but switch the O for an E mm-hmm. in, in the middle. And then Curran is spelled C-U-R-R-A-N.
2: Renniecurran.com is also a really good... Um, resource for another aspect of things that Rennie does. Um, So he hosts a game changer coaching course. Um, There are a few different courses that he does but there's one actually listed online right now as we record this Um, and you register for that. It's an online course and the goal of it is to help you build or improve your brand by impacting others through your leadership skills. So it's one-on-one coaching sessions with Rennie himself um, and he is going to encourage you and help you master the art of speaking in front of people um inspiring them and building a profitable brand so if you need if that's something that you're interested in or you know a, a business venture that you feel that you could be successful in Rennie is, um online courses are definitely a good resource for that and he's such a personable guy I can only imagine his online courses are very very fun and he's a very inspiring guy himself so
0: I would agree with that. I mean, I think that, uh, like you've heard, Rennie's a very complex guy, very interesting, much more than um, people give him credit for. I -hmm. think that's the typical case with athletes, as we said. Um, So he has a lot to offer the world, and I'm excited to see where he he goes from here. You know, he's still a young guy. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Obviously, you know, has a a daughter that he wrote a book with um, that we mentioned at length in the podcast, so make sure you check that one out as well. Um, The free agent book, I think, was really important because it's about, overcoming failure and i think everybody has to live up to that at some point so Mm -hmm. um there there are some high level thoughts um that that we covered and and i think that uh overall rennie very interesting guy once again appreciate him for being with us and uh katie i appreciate you for being with us on fun facts with katie
2: yeah thanks so much that's all the fun facts i have
0: All right, folks. Well, I've been Will Cooper. Of course, we want to thank Rennie once again for coming on with us. And uh, next time, we will talk to you, and hopefully it will be your regular host, Jody Drinkard, once again. And Mm -hmm. you can all go back to your regularly scheduled events as this was a sports (laughs) interruption for you all. So, folks, have a good day. Take care, and we'll talk to you next time.